Thank you, Paul and Leslie, and good to see you all, all of you here today. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be liked, <laughs> or seen, or whatever. <laughs> Maybe we weren't going quite that far, but anyway, to be seen is good. So. Let's take our Bibles and turn to, um, again, the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, and I would like to begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that, I, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man sees, see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All, righteousness, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we come into Your presence, and we're thankful that You are a God, a God of mercy and of grace and of truth. We would ask that You would impart all of those to, t- to us today. Even though we're unworthy, You have chosen, literally before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians, to bless us through Jesus Christ. Father, may this day be a day that is unique in the fact that we will gain another insight relationally with Yourself. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would utilize the Word of God that we've read and the whole Word to establish us, to encourage us, to build us up, to give us wisdom. And Father, for that, all of that, to bring glory back to Yourself. We thank You for Jesus Christ, especially in His sacrificial life that was given for us. Father, for these moments before us, guide us and direct us. May we see You through the Spirit. In Christ's name, Amen. As we come to this last part of 1 John, it's, it's been quite a... I don't know, how many times have we been in 1 John? <laughs> Tony's right, a long time. 
isn't it? <laughs> Jerry, do you have it in the bullets? And how many times we've? 15. Okay. I'm not sure we'll quite get wrapped up today. We'll see how it works. But Lord, but it's amazing. You know, five chapters, and it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? And quite a journey. And I, I think it'd be. We've done it a number of times in our in our uh, time together. But I think it would be good for us to once again open or go back to 1 John chapter 1. I'd like to read those first four verses again. This is really at the end of what we read, almost ties in again where he began. 1 John chapter 1, again in verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And that's how he begins to take his conclusion to this letter in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, These things have I written unto you. It's interesting that from I read verses 11 and 12 because he changes from the third person to the first person. Verses 11 and 12, this is the record, this is the truth, this is the unfolding, if you will, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then he goes into verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you. So these last uh, number of verses now is really a, a, a compilation or a summary of this entire uh, work that he's, that he's through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So this, this section is all about assurances or certainties. I would like you to... Uh, Tell me what you're absolutely certain of today. In the year 2019, um, I've even lost track of... We're not in March anymore. We're in April. April, what is the date? 7th. April 7th of 2019. What is absolutely certain? (laughs) The The old standby is death and taxes, right? Yep. And what did you say, Gloria, that the sun would come up? Are you absolutely somewhere? somewhere. (laughs) God is good. God is, is, and Jesus is his son. And as Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, declaring himself to be equal with God. It's amazing in the world and the society in which we find ourselves engaged in life. The sense of certainty is almost an unknown. If you go to buy a car, if they don't offer any guarantee at all, you're likely not to buy the car. There's appliances today that you can buy the appliance and they'll offer you a three-year warranty that you can buy. Now, that's a nice way of saying that it's a piece of junk. (laughs) They want you to pay for the warranty to take care of it. But isn't, and then, by the way, if you buy the car and you feel good enough about the product and that it's going to last long enough or it'll service you, um, before you drive home, something else takes place. You lose value. Okay. 
That actually is a certainty, isn't it? Absolutely. Drive around the block and you've just lost money. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even, even, if, even if you're okay with that, there's another uncertainty of what you, you wage in, and that is they're probably not going to let you drive the car off the lot, especially if you have a lender involved, without making it. That's exactly right. You'll need to have an insurance for what? In case of an uncertain accident that may take place. And then beyond that, there's also the possibility of you being injured in that accident. So therefore, you have health insurance or even life insurance or liability insurance. Or Are you getting the picture? Our whole life is made up of uncertainty. It surrounds us. It engages us. At every level, every turn, there is the sense of uncertainty. And as one of you have, or maybe several of you have pointed out, really what is certain? There's something that, there's one thing that is absolutely certain in this life, and that is death. You don't escape it. You can't get away from it. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't get lucky and escape it. Something that is absolutely certain. And if you can get someone to come to that point to agree to say that there is absolutely a certainty is the fact that death is certain, then the next certainty that you'd want to know is where am I going to go after I die? And that's the, one, that's the part that is, seems amazing as you sit back and think about it. It's the thing that's probably thought about, I was going to say thought about the least. I'm not sure I'm right about that. It's probably thought about a lot. But the sense of actually getting a sense of certainty about where you spend <coughs> time or, in this case, eternity after you die is probably the least certain of someone that knows death is certain. Did you follow all of that? We know death is certain, but if you ask somebody... Well, do you know where you're going? What kind of answers do you get? I hope so. Going up? Maybe. I hope. I think I'm good enough. You know, I've heard a whole range of things, and a lot of it is very uncertain. Very uncertain. I'd like us to go <clears throat> that John is really... In his writings, the Gospel of John, we're going to go back to there again for a moment, as we've done a, a couple of times as well. But it's, it's interesting from a writing standpoint, and John being led by the Holy Spirit, he is one of the writers that probably is one of our greatest friends as we sit here today, because it was his goal, it was his mission to be sure and have us know things. He wanted us to know things. And that is extremely important. I would like us to go back to, just hold your place here in First John. We'll be right back. Let's go to the Gospel of John. Again, to the key verse. If anyone asks you, what is the key verse of the Gospel of John? You can take them and say it's in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. And particularly 31, but 30 brings us up to speed. It was actually after Thomas had been convinced that Jesus himself had risen from the dead... And I'd even like to go back to that for a second. He had just told Thomas, as he had appeared in a room, um, again, I, I believe that, the, that those disciples, let's, think what, let's get into their frame of mind for a moment. <clears throat> and John would have been there as well. Um, they were gathered after Jesus Christ had been crucified, and he had already appeared once to the disciples and in a couple of other various places. <clears throat> and I, I would, you, you have to, for a moment, it's easy for us to be on this side of it far enough to you see how it all worked out. But keep in mind now, the disciples 
had gathered with their, with their Lord, with their Messiah, with their, with their master, uh, the Messiah, the Christos, Christ, the anointed one, the one who had come to save them. I don't think they really fully understood that in its fullest form. Because as they were gathered around, in fact, uh, today we will also have the opportunity to, to have our time of communion. It's a time where we just reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us. But they, they the first time that that happened, it was in real. It was, the, it was the place, and Jesus was sharing with them. What were they engaged in? What were the disciples engaged in doing on that night, the last time they would be together? I don't know the significance of what he was trying to accomplish until later. John got it later. But what, were, what was the, the atmosphere, the environment of which these guys, they were kind of coming up to the upper room, and they were, what were they talking about? Yeah, who's going to be the best? Who's the best? And I mean, you know, they were probably strutting around a little bit. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that even John would have been involved in that. It seems as such the whole group was, was just, I'm better than you. You know, I, I healed some people. I, I, I was over there and I taught. And all of that was going on in the meantime. Jesus must have just thought. Oh. But you know how he got his attention? He didn't, cha- he didn't chasten them from the sense of words. He didn't chastise them. He didn't verbally do anything. He just as he always does, by example, got in a servant's position and washed their feet. Now, that totally melted them down, didn't it? But now I want you to think of that as this, and just hours, just hours, hours later, not days, hours, not years, hours, and that same person that has washed their feet is now hanging on a cross. Nails pounded through his hands and his feet. He's hanging there above ground and below heaven, suspended, if you will, between those very powers, literally giving his life. Most of the disciples just ran away, as he said they would. Peter had just denied him three times. And I can't imagine the look when Jesus looked after the third time. He just looked at him. And it said that Peter went away and wept bitterly. All of these things happening in such a short time. What do you think the disciples are doing after Jesus has been crucified? The master's dead. This is, I thought he was the king. I thought he was going to, I thought he was going to rescue us. I thought Israel, not Israel, but the Jews were finally, this is the kingdom coming. We've got it. Here he is. We believe him. He is, he is the Christos. In fact, they said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're everything that we believe that God sent for us. And he's dead. You might have felt misled. Misled? Even somewhat betrayed. betrayed. And discouraged beyond belief. There's nothing left. They were gathering in a room for what? You'll find it in the scriptures. For fear of the Jews, the leaders. They thought they were next. If they killed Jesus, what are they... What happens in our country? If you find the, the, the leader of a, of a uh, what do you want to call it, a, a gang, I'll just say it that way. You go get the rest of them. And they were literally huddled up in fear. And the first time Jesus, in this setting, now keep, I, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that the doors were locked. I'm going to guarantee you that. And all of a sudden, right in their midst, here's Jesus. All of a sudden, just boom, there he is. And he, always, he said it twice. We know at least two times he said, what? What, what did he say to them? Peace be unto you. <laughs> He's saying the same thing to us today. There may be, there may be something that is just totally taking you out of, your, out of your game, and it's just too much. You can't handle it. 
That same Jesus is right there. And the really cool thing is, is now the Holy Spirit lives within you. We're going to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 today. It, it, it should, if you want assurance and certainty and uplifting and encouragement, the very fact that the God that made us lives within us now, today. Eternal life is not something that's off in the future. Now, it is in its fullest expression of which we can't even comprehend. Eternal life, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I'm talking about total, complete, relying upon Him, and you've trusted Him for the truth that He said, you are a sinner, you're lost, wages of sin is death, and that He can fix it only through Jesus Christ's perfect righteous sacrifice. When you trust Him for that, eternal life is the gift that you have right now. This second, every one of you in this room and all over the entire world, if you have done that with Jesus Christ, if you have the Son, it said in verse 12, you have eternal life because the life is in the Son. Let's go back to our text that I took you to in John. And John literally brings us to the summary of what he's been trying to accomplish in these previous 20 chapters. After eight days, verse 26, this is when Thomas had said, you know what, I, you, guys, you guys are out of your minds. You guys literally are out of your minds. You just have this, you're having wishful thinking. Yeah, so Jesus appeared. It was probably in a dream, you guys. I don't know what you were doing. But to think that Jesus, the one that taught us and who was our master for three years, that he, what do you, what do you, what do you mean he's alive? I saw him dead. He was, he was in the sepulcher. He was buried. There's nothing to this. What are you guys dreaming about? And he said, if I can't put my hand in the prints of the nails and in his side, I will not believe. That brings us to verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, <laughs> this is pretty cool, isn't it? You got them all there, right? And, and he says, oh, by the way, Thomas, <laughs> reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Now, there's something here that <clears throat> we sometimes glide over. And by the way, he, was in, he had his resurrected body, but there's something that Jesus Christ will bear for all of eternity and that's the scars that were inflicted on him for the sin sacrifice that he bore for us. He will wear that forever as proof of what was accomplished. When he said it was finished, it was finished. And he's wearing those. He's wearing those. And Thomas answered that. And this is, this is I mean, here, here you have this guy that's almost, I'm going to say, a little bit... Um, I don't know what, just, just resistant almost to the very fact of believing something that's so unbelievable. And now here is Jesus right literally in front of him speaking to him. And he responds just very simply in verse 28 as my Lord and my God. <coughs> and Jesus saith unto Timothy, or to, I'm sorry, uh, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written. Does this sound like John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13? These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Literally, the gospel of John is written so that 
people might believe and be saved. The whole book about the gospel of John is that people would believe and be saved. The first epistle of John, 1 John, is about those that are saved that they could be sure they are saved. It's a book of assurance. First, the, the gospel of John is believe and be saved. 1 John is to be, since you are saved, you can be assured of what you believe. Or be assured of what is yours. John, we should be extremely thankful for the assurance that he's able to give. <clears throat> when you became a believer, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, or when you believed, you did, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Why? So you, you, you were certain you couldn't do it yourself. What else? By the way, that's spot on. There's a whole lot of people today that apparently, even though it seems black and white, they're not assured of that. They think there is a way, another way. And that there's no possible other explanation for you to not accept Jesus Christ once you have been presented to him through the scripture. If you do not receive him and trust him, there is only one other answer. You do not trust him and you're trusting something else or someone else. What else could we say? Why did we believe? Why did we uh, uh, put our trust in Jesus Christ? Why else would you put your trust in Jesus Christ? And it's not a trick question. There's just a lot of things to it. As you said, I can't do it myself. Excuse me? Assurance of heaven. In other words, you believed what God said would happen if you trust Jesus Christ. You also believed... There's no other way. You also believed. I'm ready. You guys can bring it. <laughs> you also believe that what. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. You believe that. You had to believe that. If you didn't believe that, it's the wrong Jesus. That's what John's been talking about. You must have the right Jesus. He's not created. He's all God, because if he wasn't, he couldn't have died for us. He could have only died for himself. If he was just a perfect human, he would have been safe for himself. But he was God. What else did you believe? You believe that God was serious about sin. The wages of sin is death. You believe that God loved you. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? All of these things become certainties because you must have believed them to be certain. Otherwise, you couldn't have trusted Christ. All of those things come together. Or you didn't. That's what John is getting at. Literally. Now there's something else that is a guarantee or a pledge that we find in Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. We've talked about it um, over the many, many times. But uh, John, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. Uh, let's start in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. <clears throat> the word there for pledge is Erebon, which would indicate a down payment, a pledge, a promise, something to be certain. Verse 13, in whom, speaking of Christ, you also trusted. We've been just speaking about that. In Christ you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. 
part of the fact of this certainty that God has given to us in trusting him as sa- trusting Jesus Christ as Savior is this pledge or this seal or this down payment, this guarantee that the Holy Spirit literally lives within you. John is wanting to give you that assurance. In the first epistle of, of John, first John, the word no appears. Do you guys want to take a guess? And I might be off by one or two. I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and use that as a disclaimer. But how many would you take? Just take a shot. There's five chapters. How many times is the word no, K-N-O-W, not N-O, I'm, for those that might be listening, uh, K-N-O-W, how many times does that show up in this little epistle? Would you take a guess? 35. Did you say 35? That's amazingly close. Did you count? No, really nice. You're not right exactly, but you're pretty close. But I, but I didn't want to. I, did, I just didn't want to go to your head just right away. But if you would have guessed exactly, I just said, "Okay, girl, you get up here and you go for it." Right? That's good. It's not quite right. Would you say it's a little more or a little less? Because I told you it's really dialed in. A little more, isn't it? How many? Thirty. How many? Really, really close. One more. Let's make it 39. 39 times that the word no shows up in this little epistle of John. Now, the word is actually uh, in the Greek is oida, O-I-D-A. And it's, it's to be an absolute knowledge that is not accessed by experience. It is absolute truth. It's a complete, full knowledge. That's what that word means. I should put this, 39 doesn't mean, that's not my age and I'm holding. It's uh, 39 times that K-N-O-W appears in 1 John. To absolutely be confident of without having to experience it. Let's look at... uh, so our faith is not a hope so, it's not a, it is a no so, K-N-O-W. Let's go to, I want to go to something that's really interesting, that even before you would have thought that we could have known with this much certainty, go to the book of Job, find Job. Job is probably the oldest book uh, of the Bible. Job, and let's go to verse nine, chapter 19 and verse 25. Job 19 and verse 25. This is Job speaking now, and he's had his friends surrounding him, and there's been a couple go-backs, and uh, Bildad has spoken to him in chapter 18, and now Job has responded. And again, I don't even have to remind you, it's implanted deeply within your mind and studying Job that it has not been a a rosy time for him. It's been very, very difficult. He's, I'm sure, wondering a lot of things. But watch this in uh, chapter 19 and verse 25. Look at the words that he used. For I, Job, know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That is amazing to me. That is amazing that he would be that firm. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. That wasn't, some, that wasn't even John the Apostle. It wasn't back in the book of Revelation. This was in Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. Very, very powerful. Go to Psalm chapter 20 and verse 6. Psalm verse 20 and 6. Psalm 20 and verse 6. This is a psalm of David. And he says this, Now know I, I know that the Lord saveth his anointed. 
He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. He knows that God will save those that he saves. Psalm chapter 56, just turn over a couple more pages. Psalm 56 and verse 9. Psalm 56, 9. Again, a psalm of David. And the Philistines had taken him in Gath. And watch this now in verse uh, Verse 9, he says, When I, David, cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. These are good things. Psalm 119, let's look at another one. Psalm 119, verse 75. Psalm 119, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me. I know, Lord, that your judgments are right. Psalm 135 and verse 5. We could go on for a long time, but this is enough to whet your appetite. Verse 5 of chapter 135 of Psalm. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. The whole scriptures in its entirety literally gives us the fact that we can know with certainty things about God and how He progresses in our lives. Let's go to a couple more yet. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. Uh, Paul is letting down his hair, if you will, showing us that literally he is just like us, uh, warring against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. In verse 18 of of Romans chapter 7, Paul says this, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I know there's no good thing in the flesh for me. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And one more, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. The last, the last letter that Paul wrote to his, uh, the young Timothy who he was mentoring, and he says in first chapter, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Powerful testimony. Powerful testimony. So with that in our hip pocket, if you will, let's go back to 1 John chapter 5. And as he has this closing section, there are literally five things that we can know. Five things. Let's read verse 13 again, 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written unto you. 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. In other words, you've you've basically followed through all of the things that I wrote about in in the Gospel of John, the things that I wanted you to be certain to know that you would believe on the name of the Son of God. And if that's the case, all of you that have believed, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So the first thing that we can know is the fact that we literally have eternal life. As the gospel of John was, was given so that people might believe and be saved, the message of this, the first epistle, is the fact that literally we could be assured if we've believed of eternal life. In fact, turn down to verse 20. It even shows us that eternal life, where it comes from, not that this is, it, this is uh, an uncommon thought, but verse 20, same chapter, verse 1 John, 
verse five, chapter 5, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even, his, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And, and we'll talk about this a little bit later if we get that far. The fact, did you see that? He speaks of his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Literally, Jesus Christ is God. Again, we're looking for those places of seeing that, that Jesus is God. We spent quite a bit of time here a couple of weeks ago in regards to that. But Jesus himself is eternal life. What is eternal life? What does it look like? What could we say about it? Excuse me? When you trusted Christ, that eternal life, that gift became, at least at an initial phase, it's expressed right now. If you're in this room and you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. That's what John has been talking about. And ultimately, you're exactly right, Lois. It's going to just get better and better and better. How long is eternal life? There's no end. Is it associated with time? That's the cool part. I've heard all kinds of ways to try to get your, hand, your, 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 you know, your arm around what eternity is, and I'll tell you what. It'll stretch your mind so far, and you know what? That didn't even get it started. You should tell Dad cleaning up the hard bar when he tells with a small shovel. That was eternal. <laughs> <laughs> and even that, as, as long as that could be, is not even scratching the surface, right? Even uh, the, the hymn that we, that we love so greatly is Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, it's only as if we've just begun. There's something else about eternal life, though, that maybe uh, when, when I say that, when I say eternal life, where do, where do you go from the sense of dimension? What, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about time, right? Eternal life. You're thinking about the, the endlessness to it. And usually that's it. Now, maybe some of you don't. But there's another part of this, and the word that's used for that, it's the sense of quality. It's not just, it's just not length, which it, length is actually, it's, it's totally irrelevant because there is no length to it. It never ends. There's, there's no, there's nothing to measure it by. See that, and that's hard for us. We're, we're, we're finite beings, but just thinking that God always has been, always, he is, he just is. There's, there's nothing else, no frame of reference. It's much the same way when you've trusted Christ. There, it's not about time anymore. It's, it's forever. And eternity. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's also the quality is unsurpassed. It's as high a level as you could possibly imagine and beyond. Just as much. See, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fully, I'm trying to get you the whole dimension. We're going to go to it in Ephesians chapter 3 in just a second. You think of, you think of eternal life, and I'm, most people think timeline. And it just goes on and on and on. I want it bigger than that. I want you to think from a quality. There is nothing any higher than it could possibly be as well. Going that way, if you will, because up's always better, right? Right, thank you. I was hoping somebody agree with me. But, but you see what I'm saying? Now the magnitude of eternal life becomes even more grandiose than we even could possibly imagine because it's not just about length. It's about quality. It's as high and mighty and beyond paramount what we could possibly imagine and it goes on forever. And that's ours. We can know we have eternal life. Now there are some religions that don't believe that you can know that you're saved. You have to die to find out, to be sure. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, really, isn't it? Some, that's, that's one way. 
There is but one way. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Now, that doesn't sell very well today, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. I'm sure today if he would, have, if he would be here on the scene, and he, by the way, it's no less true today than it was when he was here 2,000 years ago. If Jesus walked in this room right now, he'd probably have some followers. But if he was walking downtown Sheridan and he would declare tomorrow morning just walking down the street by the Napa store and the grocery store and the Ace is the place, and he'd say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man or woman comes unto the Father, unto God, except by me. What would he be called? All of those things and more, wouldn't it be? The one that sticks out to me is that intolerant. Intolerant. We're living in an age that, that truth certainly can be wide and have many ways and many avenues. And the new, age, the new Age movement actually picks up its popularity in the standpoint there's really nothing wrong as long as you believe it. Whoa. We've lost our way. The exclusivity of truth, people, is so magnanimous. In fact, uh, for just, just for a second, uh, there's five things. That I got this from, uh, I was reading uh, John MacArthur, Grace to You. Uh, a framework of living in an absolute environment of truth. In other words, there, there's, there's something that gives us a framework of living that we can hang on. And see, that's what's happened to our nation today. That's why we have a very large percentage of teen suicide. That's why we have a country that just seems to be totally out of sorts. There does not seem to be any answers. Our political uh, arena is so messed up. It, it, it's, beyond, it's actually beyond description right now. Our, if, you, if you study politics for a second, and I'm not going to get into that, but if you just, because it's part of who we are. I mean, our leaders in Congress, they are totally, totally are missing it. They don't even see the light from the darkness. And why is it? Because there's no such thing not is adhered to as absolute truth. There are five things, and we'll just do these real quickly before we go to Ephesians chapter 3. Living on absolutes. One is objectivity. And when we're talking about truth, this is framework of living in an absolute environment of truth. So this is all surrounding truth, if you were. First of all, it's very important for us to realize the objectivity of truth. Truth is outside of us. Now, that's totally foreign. If you were going to say that, in a, in a large arena of where there's the popular opinion, that is not something we'd be adhered to. Truth is subjective. Truth is what I believe. My truth. And Paul can have his truth. And I say it all the time. But we must get to the sense that truth is objective. It is outside of us. In fact, go to John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus Christ himself declaring in the high priestly prayer, praying to the Father... And saying these things was for our benefit, certainly not for his. John chapter 17 and verse 17. Truth is truly outside of us. It says this. I just came across a verse that fits in very nicely as well. John chapter 17. Look at this. This is when Jesus was praying to the Father. It was for the disciples' good. Look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Think of that. Do you see that? Eternal life is this, to know God more than you could possibly know him. Today, uh, you have, not one of you have seen God. You can't look on him. He's too magnificent. He's too, I don't know, just Holy. too, excuse me? Holy. Holy. He's just too much God. I'm, that's the only way I know how to say it. 
right there, life eternal ultimately. And when we get on the other side of this physical life, to be able to see God for who he is. Every aspect. You know, some people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask what? No, you're not. You're not going to ask any questions. It's just going to be... That's right. The things that are really important is what's going to matter, and it doesn't matter how many, who knows, whatever it was. It's it's irrelevant. Eternal life is to know God. Now, that wasn't where I was going to lead you. That verse just popped out at me. Verse 17, same chapter. Verse 17. Sanctify them. Now, he's speaking speaking to the Father, them as the disciples, and even us today. He's looking forward. Sanctify or set aside them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Truth is objective. It is outside of us. The second thing we can say about living on absolutes is the rationality. It yields meaning to the mind when we approach it rationally, reasonably. Truth makes sense when you look at it just reasonably. It's not some hidden message. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad that this Bible is not some hidden code and it's encrypted with some type of hidden truths which you have to have the right combinations numerically to be able to find that little... No. It's written rationally. Truth makes sense. Just like in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And you read through the first two chapters of Genesis, and you know what? It makes perfect sense. We had up here, uh, I, I might have even shared this, this group last week, that... Uh, Our trinity as a Christian is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're an evolutionist, you basically have a trinity of gods as well. Did I share this with you? We were in true secret. Okay. Remember what they are? It's a little test. Might have even had them up there. Remember what was up here when we first started today. First one is time. God, the the, the God of time is absolutely essential to an evolutionist. They must have... almost an enormous amount of time. And if it's not quite enough, if someone can calculate it, it seems that that's not a long enough time for design to take place, then you just add it on. Exactly, Terry. That's exactly right. The God of time. God the time. Okay, what's the second one? Matter. Matter. In fact, you've got to begin with something. There has to be some eternality because that's the problem with evolutionary is the fact you go back far enough and far and something was before that was. That's a problem. Now, if you believe that God created it, that's not a problem because God is. So you have the God of matter. You have the God of time, the God of matter, and then one more, the God of chance. Because it just has to happen. It's ooey and gooey and it floats around long enough and enough time and enough matter and pretty soon all of this. And here you are. <laughs> I really have a hard time with that. <laughs> Becoming... Exactly, becoming anything. But sexual, <laughs> yeah. sexually producing mouth, let's say. I, I really have trouble with that. And by the way, we all should. Is it, 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 see, that is truly amazing because that's the one thing. Now, they, they really, it would be a lot better for them to just go ahead and have the God that they're missing. There's a God they're missing. You have the God of chance. You have the God of matter. And you have the God of time. If they really had the God of design, everything takes care of itself. And to think that he created male and female. That doesn't happen by chance. As Terry said, that is, it's almost an absurd abnormality to think in those terms of it just... Uh, I can't even say it. Uh, R.C. Sproul has a book, uh, Not a Chance. And it speaks about the fact of chance and the opportunities, potentialities. Of, it, it's a hard read, but it's just... There's no chance. There is no chance. 
They're really having a problem. And, and, the, and the, more, the more we show it, the more we see it. And actually, the other thing that's interesting is as technology improves, even I'm going to say even on, on the fact of life in humans and what we're able to see now within the mother's womb from conception, you just can't get there. And design, now, now, now there's the thing of the universe is inanimate. It is, um, what's the right, I'm looking for the right word, I'm not getting it. But it, it is eternal and it's just a force. So if you do that, now you've created all of those into one thing, time, chance, and matter. You make it eternal and then everything's possible. That's the latest. But design. Design is so... I'm not even sure how we got down this trail. How did we do that? We did it well, though, didn't we? Let's see if we can't get back to where we were going. Oh, we were working on uh, living in absolutes. Uh, the truth is objective. It's rational. And then the sense of the veracity. If I say the word veracity, what does that mean to you? It is literally that. Accuracy of facts. That's the other thing we find about absolute truth. It lines up. It makes sense. It follows true right down the line. In other words, some, if, I say, if I say, well, I can just walk right through that wall, now I'm okay as long as I don't try, correct? <laughs> but when I try, I've proven that it's not true. And all of these personal truths, these, these subjective held truths about God, it's amazing how many different subjective truths are out about God that really are not true because, they, first of all, they don't make any sense, and they're not true because they don't stack up, they don't line up. The veracity is not there. Number four is the sense of authority. In the Word of God, it's binding in what it affirms. When the Word of God declares something to be true, it is binding. It adds up. It makes perfect sense. And the last one is incompatibility. What I mean by that is the fact that anything that contradicts it, anything that contradicts truth is wrong. There's something we could, if we could get our country to get a hold of that one, wouldn't that be great? Anything that is contradictory to truth is wrong. It's that simple. Those are five legs or our focus is on a framework of living in an absolute environment of truth. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 because I want to see the power that we have when you are saved. These are things that we can know. John, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is, spoke to us in Ephesians chapter 3. That is a fabulous, about to the point we should go through that book again. That one there is dynamite in the, when we're in, in Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we'll begin again, we're going to begin in verse 14. Verse 14. Now this is actually a prayer that Paul, he, it's like a parenthesis. And he is literally praying for spiritual growth among these at Ephesus. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees... Under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go into chapter 3, I'm going to let you do that on your own. But the first part of it is actually an unfolding of a mystery. And in, in the Bible, a mystery in the New Testament is, is seeing something that has been veiled, that has been covered in previous time. And part of this mystery is in, as the church began, which would have been very, very mysterious to the Jew, because in the Old Testament, God was working exclusively with the Jewish people, wasn't he? Those were his chosen people. He had chosen them so the rest of the world would see how great he was when they clung to him. And we know that didn't work all the time. It was this up and down roller coaster ride. But as the church began and Jesus Christ died for all, for the whole sin of the world, something changed in the sense of this mystery is unveiled. And, when the, and, and Paul has pulled the curtains back and literally 
Jews and Gentiles are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And we should say, Amen. Thankfully, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. And I say that carefully. God knew it would happen. But as a result of them literally resisting, denying Jesus being the Messiah, the rest of the world, under the power of grace, the era of grace was begun through the church. And as a result of that, there is not a person in this room that would be saved if that wouldn't have happened. God's grace fully unfolded to the entire universe, if you will. Now he's praying as a result of that, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, capital S, in the inner, in the inner man. And there's a Spirit living within us. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Did you see that? Did you see that? Not only is the Holy Spirit, is he praying for the Holy Spirit to be part of you, because that's promised, but Christ would dwell within you. Goes on to say. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in, in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints, watch now, what is the breadth what is that? Breadth. We don't do that a lot. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give me the breadth of that two by four? Width. Oh, that'd be the wrong way to say it. What's the breadth of that? Width. width. The width? Okay. What's the next one? The width and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love. He's speaking about love. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you literally see what he has said in those few short verses? That you have, as a believer, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit literally working within you. That is a concept that would have taken those Ephesians, and I'm not sure they could even have comprehended it. Because you remember what David said when he had sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba and murder as he killed Uriah the Hittite and all of those other things? When he, was, when he was convicted by, here comes Nathan, he comes in and says, he tells a story about this, a rich man and a poor man and a little, this little ewe lamb, and he took it from him. And David was furious. He was just, he was beside himself. He said, that guy's going to pay. He's going to pay. He's going to give him four times the amount. And that was when Nathan pointed his finger. He said, you are the man. And that started this whole thing of the sense of conviction, literally by the Holy Spirit, I believe, that God used to convict David of his sin. But you remember what David said? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, that's a song we sing. I actually like the melody to it. It's actually really cool. But the really cool thing is, is the fact that you don't have to even ever worry about that. Once you've trusted Christ as Savior, He is a permanent indwelling. Amen. He's there. And what Paul is saying, all of the Trinity literally is within, this, within the, with the believer. Now, watch verse 20. Now, unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, now whoa, 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 whoa. Just, just break that apart. In other words, what are, what's the most that you could possibly ask or think about? Got it? Take it times 10. Take it times 100. Take it to the 50th power. How are you doing? That's a lot, isn't it? He goes and he says, it is exceeding abundantly above all of that you could possibly imagine. Now, get it. Watch. What's God? He finishes. 
How? According to the power that, read it, worketh in us. That is fantastic. I don't even know. How could you do any more justice to that? Ah, it's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And all of this for this reason. Verse 21. Unto him, God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all of ages, world without end. Amen. All of those things that he abundantly, exceedingly, above all that we could think or ask, the power that's working within us is to bring glory to himself. Ah, what a God we serve. To, to, to even imagine the power that is within us. Well, let's look at one more. There's five that I said. I was, um, we're not going to get through five, but let's go to verse 14 of 1 John. Let's look at our second one. I imagine you're pretty pleased to know that so far we've covered one verse. But we've done it well, haven't we? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, that we can know that we have eternal life. And eternal life is knowing God. It is quality of life as well as length or quantity. The second thing we find that we can know is verse 14. And this is the confidence. Here again, you look at the terms that he uses. That this is the confidence that we have in him that, we, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. The second thing we can know, not only the fact that we have eternal life, is the fact that, again, I'm speaking to those that have accepted Jesus Christ, that have believed what he has said about us, what we've believed about sin, what we've believed about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. All of those things, when you've believed it, you have eternal life, but you also have this, God answers our prayer. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. And if we possess the life of God in us, the full expression of it is when we leave this world. In the meantime, however, you know, it's like we've talked about this, this justification. From that point, your eternal life is fixed. It's fixed. It's fully yours. The full expression of it may not be into the future. But guess what? You wake up the next day. And and by the way, some of you, when you got saved, it was probably a, a heightened level of exhilaration. doesn't have to be may not have had any feeling at all. You just rested on the promises and the truth that was expounded to you as the gospel was unfolded. Could be either way. But, on, but it would seem as such, after you got through that initial time, it's so much normal day-to-day, isn't it? There's problems, there's crises, there's trials. There's, they're so regular, too, aren't they? They're so regular. How many of you like it that way? Oh, come on, I'm not the only one. <laughs> We'd be born. Actually, I'd say it just a little different, but but you're exactly right. If it was, if it, if you just turn the switch and it was perfect right away, we would have no idea how great God really was, would we? We'd take it for granted. That'd be a real good warm up for heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, and and there's something about it we kind of yearn for, isn't it? Because we like things to go well. But I'll have to say, probably, and you would agree, probably, the more difficult times that you may have endured in your life, maybe some years back, maybe in the last year, maybe whatever it is, the fact that really makes it significant is the fact that if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, no matter how difficult that was, how ongoing it continues even, God answers prayer. 
Praise the Lord. Now, there's, there's one catch to it, just one little catch. I had a tool salesman call me yesterday. They call about once a month. Have you ever had those? They're, this one was from somewhere in Minnesota or whatever. And he was going to sell. First of all, what he does is he give, he's going to give you all this stuff. He's going to send a catalog, and then he's going to send you this free glove. What size do you wear, Larry? And then it was like, uh, um, you're going to get this free. There's, it's the same all the time. I could just about rehearse it. I could actually go into telemarketing, which I despise. And so, so he finally says, he says, and then, but Larry, Larry, Larry. And it's, he used my name a hundred times in these. And why I listened for that long, I don't know. But I did. I was, I was, I was, I was very courteous and kind, right? And his name was Ed. Why do I remember that? I don't know. But Ed was, Ed was, Ed was pushy, but Ed was using my name. He was trying to personalize the whole thing, right? And he said, uh, you know, and the other thing I'm going to do, Larry, is... Um, We've got these drill bits, and he you know, goes on and names them. They're made by Shark Bite, and they're awesome, and they're never break. And every one of them can drill through spring steel. You just take it, right? You guys have not got the tool salesman's call you, I can tell. I mean, I can do this. I can do this. I really can. I can do this. I would not even have to go to school to learn how to sell this stuff. Don't give me my number. I, no, 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 I won't. I, I, no, I won't. So, so anyway, <laughs> and he drills through stuff. It's just awesome. And he said, now, Larry, I'll tell you what. You don't have to write no checks. There's no credit cards. We're just going to send them out to you. And they're like, you know, they're all, I mean, they're only like $498. You know, if you bought them off the fuel, off the fuel truck, off the, uh, the, the equipment truck, it would be, you know, 2000 whatever it was. I'm, I'm not even listening now because I've heard this so many times. And he said, at the end of 30 days, if you like them, you know, we're just going to send you a bill. I said, partner, I've been down this trail. That's when I said, Ed, I've been down this trail. You send me a bill whether I like them or not. And I don't want to owe you for anything. I just don't want to do that because I've been down this trail. Oh, just do me a favor, Larry, and just... I said, no, no, this is a joke. See, Ed. And then Ed was mad at me. You know, that's usually how it ends. And how did I tie this into what I was just saying? Now? <laughs> oh, I really, really got in my game. Got in my game. It'll come to me in just a second, or it won't. Um, oh, yeah, he's, he's part of problems and struggles, right? It wasn't it was something different, but at any rate. But it's amazing how our lives become so infiltrated with all of the things that take us out of our game, that are taking our focus out of what's really, really important. Eternal life, quite honestly, the more we focus on it and the value and the quality, and what, what did we just say eternal life was? John chapter 17, verse 3. What did we just say it was? Eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God. That's why it really is a gift that we have today. The more that we, that's why you're here today is knowing more about God, knowing relationally. What's the word that we use, in, as John said? You, you can have fellowship. You can have koinonia. koinonia, that intimate relationship. And every passing moment is an, it's an opportunity for us to know God a little bit more. And you'd get to know him better the tougher things are if you're a Christian. If it's tough and you're without God, that'll bring you to him. Or kin. God knows all things. He knows how to do that. But the tougher things are, the clearer, the most, more relationally improved it is when you're a Christian. And God becomes bigger and bolder. The last year, I've trusted God more than I've ever trusted Him before. He's taken me to new levels of trust. That's good. That's good. See, because you'll, you'll not get there on your own. You drift. If there's not a reason to push you, you drift. And if you're drifting, and these sidewalks, if you just stop, you are going backwards. The sidewalk of life. You stop, you're just going backwards. You must keep pressing on. You must keep going. And when that happens, one of the clearest things for us to be is in communion with God. How many times do you talk to God a day? All the time. Exactly. That's the way it ought to be. 
That's the way it ought to be. Sometimes at night, do you go to home? You, 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 have a, you have a problem at the end of the day that you just haven't gotten solved? Wait, some of you are, he's going to, he, every one of us do. There's something that's happened through a day a week. There's, you know, and, and they become almost to the point of insurmountable. Where do you leave that? Leave it with him. What's that? And what do we call that when you don't sleep? If you don't get rid of it. Let, let's play. What Twitch you said is exactly right. So let's say we have this problem and it seems insurmountable to us. That's why we're hanging on to it. But if we don't give it up and we don't sleep, what do we call that? Worry. Worry. What else do we call it? What does God call worry? Sin. It's sin. It really is. But when we release that to him, I, I can't tell you. It's almost every night. And, and there's different problems that seem to, you know, escalate or whatever. Every night when, I'm, when I hit the pillow, I'm just saying, God, I don't know how to do. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what to do. But I know you do. And I know you got it. And if you, shared a, if you would care to share that with me, I'd be delighted. <laughs> but see you in the morning. Now, when I hang on to it, what have I proven? If I stay awake, and I've done this. I mean, I have, I have done plenty of that sleepless rolling around and, you know, and your head's going 9,000 miles an hour. And you don't solve anything, but you're yourself all worked up. And literally, what have I done? I have not trusted God with the answer. I've, I'm trusting me to figure it out. That's wrong. But when I can go to bed, release it, and it's amazing. Tell me if I'm wrong. The first waking thoughts that I have the next morning usually reveal some type of an insight to that. That's a God thing because I trusted him with that. That's what we're talking about when it says God answers prayer. Now, there's one catch. You must ask in his will. Oh, man. Right? Now... That's right. But if you don't ask it in his will, in other words, you're just, who's, how do you know what you're running against his will or with your will? Let me tell you, let me tell you what happened if you run in your will. You don't pray. That's what prayer is for. As we were praying, as Paul led us in prayer today, you know what, that's, that's aligning our will with his will. When you pray and you pray, I'm going to say emphatically that you're really there to do business. You're here to focus on him. Thanking him for what he's accomplished in your life and beyond. You know what happens? All of a sudden, your will becomes fit over his will. And that's the perfect place to be. So literally, the more we pray, the more our will becomes his will. And that's why it works. If, you, if you're going to run off, run with a bit in your mouth, you know, like, you've, you know, have you ever had a horse like that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I had an Appaloosa horse once. He's really pretty. <laughs> Stupid. Um, <laughs> anyway, he was a good, he was a good, he had that nice little blanket, you know, he was a good looking horse, but, and he just had this thing. He was a barrel racing horse. I'm getting way off topic now, but that'll be okay. <laughs> but cause we're a lot like it. We're a lot like it. And if you let him loose, if we were running across, we were, we were done with something and we were just, you know, you're a kid and you're going to see what, how this horse can go, you know? So, and I'm pulling on the bit and it broke. I've got. That's a bad feeling. We're, we are galloping full tilt, and the only thing that stops this horse is an arena, right? Hit the, that's it. That's it. Otherwise, it's, if it's wide open, we just keep running until we can't run no more. Frosty was his name. And I got nothing. He is totally running at his will. That's what we do when we pray in our will. We just go off, and we're not thinking. We're not listening. We're not doing anything. On that particular occasion, wasn't very good. Frosty stumbled, fell down, and that's why my one knee isn't very good. 
And you know what happens to us? We stumble and fall down when we go according to our will. And then we're ready to look for that. God, what, what, what did you want me to do? Isn't it, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It really is. But God answers our prayers. We can know it with confidence. In fact, look at what he wants us to do, quite honestly. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a passage that you're all very familiar with. But you have access to God now, just like the eternal life is the gift that you have now. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 tells us how we can come to him. You know, sometimes we're like a little mouse, you know, you just, oh, God, I, 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 I don't know. I, just, I shouldn't even talk about it. You know, it's just, it's just not worth it. You're so big and so God. I just, I don't want to bother you with it. Look at this. Verse, verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore, oh, I'm sorry, let's, let's go back and figure out what it's there for. Remember? Remember that? If you see what it's there for, let's find out what it's there for. Verse 15, we'll step back there. We should actually go all the way back to verse 11, but we won't. We're going to go to verse 15. You can do 11 on your own tonight. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now think of that. In other words, he knows what it feels like. No matter where you're at, have you ever, you know, somebody, that, and this is sometimes, oh, you, you just don't know. You've never been in this situation. Jesus has. He understands it fully and completely. And with that in mind, he says, therefore, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. What a fabulous thing to know that we have access to God now for our needs. We can be in His presence with anything. Do you know, it's really, literally, it's a blank check. When you are a Christian, when you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have a blank check. The only thing it has to be written on is the bank of His will. But it is a blank check. It's more than you can even possibly imagine, think, or ask. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 3. Did you, did you get that? And the other thing is, is when you're praying to God, you will get the right answer. You will get the right answer. Now, sometimes the fact this door will be, you, you, you ask something and you want this door to open, and God very clearly says it's closed. That's the right answer. Now, sometimes it's like there is no answer for a while. That's my least favorite answer. <laughs> and that's the waiting one. But in the meantime, you know what he's doing with us? He's still attuning, he's fine-tuning our will to meet his will, and that sometimes takes time. It's not because he can't get it done on time. It's because we're not ready yet. The waiting is for our good. It's no fun. And sometimes, get after it. He opens the door and he says, What's, what are you waiting for? Let's go. I can't believe it took this long for you to pray about that. But he's so nice he doesn't say that. He just says, now's the time. Let's go. He will answer your prayer. And the answers are absolutely in our best interest. Think of that for a second. He's never wrong. Oh, I got the wrong mail. That was the wrong prayer. That should have went to Bill over there in St. Saint, in Saint Louis. I can't believe I missed that one. That's not what happens. Your prayer is specifically, individually, 100% satisfaction guaranteed to have the right result personally with an eternal God. That is wild. And it's it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm going to not go to the last three. I'm going to leave you waiting for next week. So, quick little quiz. The two absolute certainties that we have if you're in Jesus Christ are 
Jesus is God. That's an absolute certainty. And because that's true, we have eternal life. And access, literally, God answers our prayers. If we had no more than that, we would be truly blessed. We would be truly, but that's not all. There's three more. And you'll have to come next week to find out. (laughs) To be continued, yes, exactly. But as we prepare ourselves today for our communion, it's, it's all an opportunity for us to worship our Lord as well. Uh, as we opened even into uh, John and we looked at that intimate group on that night as they were gathered. And they had some of the same things going on in their lives as we have today. It's a crazy upside down world. The Romans were running over the top of them. They were looking with anticipation to what could come. All of the things that literally, how could our lives be better? And it probably even seemed a little bit out of the ordinary. Why, what, what, what are we doing here? And then when Jesus would have knelt down to wash their feet, it would have almost seemed up just totally, almost weird. But all of these things after the fact became, to those disciples, they would have contemplated on what had taken place. It became so grandiose because literally on that night, he gave them symbolism for what his body would become in just literally a few hours and what would happen to them and how on the front edge they would be of a brand new dispensation called the church age of which we are still within. We are in the greatest dispensation or time or era of the, of the world that there could ever be. Aside from when we go to the eternal place where our eternal life is fully dressed out, if you will. But this, this age of grace right now, folks, you are blessed to be in this era. You are blessed to be here. And God knew you would be here before you were even born. And to think about that, and where do we fit into this? How many others need to know about Jesus? And, and on that night, Jesus Christ took those 12 disciples. One of them knowing, knowing he was betrayed. I've said it a million times, but... He took the one that he knew would be lost, and he made him the guest of honor, letting him every possible opportunity. That's the God we serve. Second Peter chapter three verse verse nine. He he would that all all would come to repentance and none would perish. That's how that's how much life Jesus died for. It wasn't just for a select few. But let's prepare our hearts for a sacrifice of that magnitude. I'm going to ask as Paul would come forward and. And uh, pass out the bread. As, we're, as he's doing that, I would ask that we would be very careful to examine our hearts. Laramie will play some soft music. A time for us to contemplate, because it's just as we've been studying in First John, uh, if you remember, even though as we're going down this trail of life, our lives should not be fully practicing our habitual sin. It should be a pattern that literally is a time of holiness and of righteousness. And yes, there's, there's, there's times... There's a time or a sequence, or not, not a sequence, an op, a, um, a situation of which we would fall away in sin. But immediately, immediately do what John said. Confess your sin and he is faithful and able to forgive you of those sins. And brings us right back into fellowship. That's what we need to do right now as we're preparing for this, is to make ourselves clean before him. And he's allowed us that opportunity. Thank goodness. What if he would have said, you're saved right now. But if, 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 if you sin one more time, There's not enough grace for you. He didn't do that. 
He is there ready to forgive if you're ready to confess, and that is to call sin what it is, and then that release and that rejoining of koinonia. This is all part of that. So let's examine our hearts. Just as the words of that song that we're listening to, that we bow down, you are our God. On that night, as he was there and gathered those men around him, the significance of that for him was surreal. He knew within hours that his life's blood would be spilled, that his mission that he had started 33 years ago would be vast and completed. And, oh God, how can we thank you enough for his body that was broken and given so that we could go free? He willingly came. He endured the cross, even with joy, knowing what would ultimately happen. And, Father, how much pain and suffering it must have been. And for you even to have to turn away from him in the, le- in the, the heat of that crucifixion, those three hours when the whole world became dark, because you could not look on the sin that he was bearing. The distancing of your son from you for those, for those moments must have been unbearable. And it was all for us. His body racked with pain, bruised and broken. His head scarred and stinging from a crown of thorns with three and four inch long thorns smashed into his head. That same Jesus said, Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. The same Jesus that said to the thief on the cross, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Thank you again, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. It says, He took bread, He gave thanks, He broke it, He gave it unto them, saying that this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Again, I'm going to ask that Paul would pass the cup out. And again, let's just reflect upon how great a sacrifice that our Savior did over 2,000 years ago. As we contemplate the sacrifice that literally giving His life's blood, it reminded me of a passage in John chapter 10 on the Good Shepherd and literally is a picture of what he accomplished on that cross hanging between heaven and earth he said I am the door there's no way for salvation as John has aptly pointed out in the first epistle that he that has the son hath life and he that does not have the son does not have life and that was really literally the picture of that communion time they had together And I'm going to ask, Ernie, would you say a blessing on the cup, please? Thank you. On that same night, it tells us in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, that likewise also the cup after supper saying this, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, if you will, in my blood, which is shed for you. The significance which stands firm today. Let's partake together. Oh, Lord God, it's with thanksgiving and gratitude that we bring to you on bended knee for a great and awesome God that saw fit to save a wretched men that had failed 
fallen into the state of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that curse. Jesus took that payment. And when we accept him by faith, across our ledger, across our invoice, it's stated paid in full. Paid in full. Father, may we focus on that this week. To know that we are saved by so great a Savior, so great a God, that allowed himself to set aside all of the attributes that he owned, that he had, as Philippians points out, to work it out perfectly so that we could be rejoined with a true gospel, the good news of salvation. Thank you, Father, for Philippians 1.6 as well. That You've begun a good work in us, and you're faithful to complete it to the very day of our glory. That's the God we serve. <clears throat> Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for eternal life of which Jesus purchased by his blood. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.